Echo Lake, it is great to be back with you today. Uh, I know I say it every time, but it's because I really mean it. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for trusting us and giving us the opportunity to open God's word uh, together this morning. Uh, we love it and we're grateful to be here uh, and we're excited. I have to tell you that I really believe with all my heart that God's got something that he really wants to say to us today uh, because the amount of things that he was throwing at me this week that I couldn't write down fast enough for today. Uh, I just, I believe it that today God's got something good for all of us. Uh, and so I just want to pray and I want to ask God that he would give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand what it is that he wants to deposit into our souls today. You know, if you're following along with us, uh, whether you've been here in person or online, wherever it is, we're in a series through Esther right now, where we've been taking some time to look at and understand how God is always at work in our lives, even when we don't get to see him as clearly as we would like. Right? And we've been learning from Esther and Esther's story about how we can kind of follow God's plan and his purpose through our lives uh, as he unfolds it. And just to kind of bring us all up onto the same page uh, as we dive in today, right? So we're following Esther's story. We're following the Israelites who are now in Persia, uh, who are undergoing a bit of oppression, right? Uh, there is a leader that is in charge there. Uh, his name is Haman, and he is a guy that really loves himself. <laughs> and he wants everybody else to love him as much as he loves himself. And so he decides that, hey, I want everybody to bow down and worship me. And uh, so what happens is there's another man named Mordecai who says, absolutely not. I'm not going to do that. Uh, we worship the one true God and that's not you. So we're not going to bow down. Uh, we're only going to worship the true God. And so as you can imagine, somebody that is just so full of love for themselves, when they hear that, it doesn't go very well. And so he convinces the king that, hey, guess what? These Jewish people, they're a, they're a mess. They're a threat to you and your authority. So you know what the best thing to do would be? Let's kill them all. Right. And you, you read the story and you're like, well, that escalated rather quickly. It did. Right. So, so he says, we're going to kill all the Jewish people in, in our land. And so the king issues this edict that that's going to happen. And there, this man, Mordecai, finds out about this and he says, whoa, wait a minute. No, we can't let this happen. God, God, you've got to do something about it. And today we're going to unpack what Mordecai does when he finds out what's going to take place between Haman and the Jewish people. If you have your Bible, I wanna invite you to meet me in the book of Esther chapter four. Uh, I think we're gonna put the, the verses up on the, on the screen, but I would always encourage you to, to look for it yourself, right? Open up your book. God's word is available to all of us. Don't just take our word for it, not that we're gonna tell you some lies or anything like that, but, but God wants to speak to you. So look at your book yourself so that you can see what he wants to show you. But let's read this together, Esther 4, and then we're going to unpack it. Esther 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. 
Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends his gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Father, there is a lot in here to challenge and convict our souls. And Father, I believe that you have a powerful word that you wanna put in front of all of us this morning. And so Father, I pray that as we dive in to this passage today, you would do just that. Lord, you've told us in your word that, that your word never returns void. So even just from the reading that we just did, we already have enough to completely change our lives. But Father, I pray that this morning we would dig even deeper into who you are. We would dig even deeper into what you wanna teach us, how you wanna shape us, how you wanna mold us, how you wanna challenge us and encourage us so that we can be better hands and feet for you. Father, there's so many things uh, that are fighting for our attention this morning, so many distractions, so many things that we need to give our attention to. But Father, there is nothing more important in this moment at this time than to give our attention to you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Father, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you this morning, that you would move and that we would listen. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So in about the uh, mid 60s, there was a TV show that kind of hit the airwaves that really became rather popular. Now it was made even more famous uh, a few decades later by this little known actor you've probably never heard of uh, named Tom Cruise, but the, the show was called Mission Impossible. Anybody ever hear of it? Mission Impossible? Got any Mission Impossible fans? Okay, good. So if you heard of it, you know that the premise of the story was this. Every episode, what would happen would be this group of government agents would receive this mission from their leader. And this mission always felt like it was something that was absolutely impossible to accomplish. Right, And it was always something to do with overthrowing this you know, terrible person or stopping the evil whatever leader from doing something that, that was gonna destroy the whole world. You know, Whatever it was, every episode, there was this impossible mission that was put before 
this group of agents. And then the show would go on and we would watch them live out this, what seemed to be impossible mission. You know, as I was studying and as we were unpacking uh, this passage this week, I kept thinking about this show. And I kept thinking about this idea of how this group of agents would be met with what felt to be in their eyes an impossible mission. Because you know, if you were Esther in this moment and you received a letter from Mordecai that said, hey, guess what? We're all going to die, but guess what? You're gonna be the one that goes and does something about it. It feels like an impossible mission. By all intents and purposes for Esther, she receives that mission just like the agents in this show would get, right? Every, every episode they would receive on this tape recorder. Now, for those of you younger friends and followers who have no idea what that is, think like an iPod, but retro, right? They would receive on this tape recorder this mission that seemed for all intents and purposes in their eyes, completely impossible. Esther was given what in her mind felt like an impossible mission. You have to go to the king and get him to stop the edict that he is going to kill all the Jews. When was the last time you were faced with what felt like in your mind and in your life, an impossible mission? When was the last time that you felt like God put something in front of you that for all intents and purposes, you're looking at it saying, there's absolutely no way this can happen. There's no way I can do this. You know, I think for all of us, when we enter into this relationship with our heavenly father, when we give our lives to him, he gives us these missions. He puts these missions in front of us that we are then called to go and live out. But you know, I think one of the, the dangers that we face, and I think we see it with Esther as well, is that oftentimes when we're faced with these missions that feel completely impossible, our mind immediately goes to a place of fear. I can't do this. It won't work. It can't happen. We see that with Esther. Esther, you've got to go to the king. I can't go to the king. He could kill me. Now that's not an exaggeration. That's, that's literal truth of what would happen in those moments. You see, it, in that time, you didn't just get to walk in to the presence of the king and she was the queen. So you would think, well, okay, you know, that's the queen, let her, no. She didn't get to just walk into his presence. In fact, if she went in there and tried to talk to him and he didn't want to have any of it, she would be killed on the spot. So for all intents and purposes, in Esther's mind, this mission was impossible because the king didn't call me. I can't go talk to him. And her mind immediately went to a place of fear. You know, I don't think we're much different at times in our lives when we're faced with what feels like an impossible mission. Not me, I don't have the strength, I don't have the knowledge, I don't have the ability, I don't have the drive to live out this impossible mission. This morning, what I wanna do in the time we have left is I wanna learn from Esther because I believe that in the beginning of this moment, this encounter that we're in with Esther, she starts from a place of fear but she ends in a place of faith. And I believe that that's what God wants all of us to understand this morning. That when you are faced with what can feel like an impossible moment, an impossible mission in your life, you may start from a place of fear, but by the strength of God, you can end in a place of faith. 
So how did Esther do that? Well, let's read together, right? Look at what happens when Mordecai sends her this message and says, hey, Esther, you're gonna go and uh, go into the presence of the king and, and you're gonna tell him, hey, don't kill this whole group of people. Like, just think about that for a second, right? Like, it, it kind of puts into perspective at times what we feel like is an impossible situation and what really may not be, right? So, so there's two real impossible situations for Esther in this moment. Number one, she's got to go into the presence of the king and she could literally at any moment be, be killed on the spot. That is an impossible situation. But that's not all she has to do. She's got to step into that situation. She's got to step into this mission and then say, hey, if you didn't kill me yet, I got one more thing that could probably put my head on the chopping block. That thing that you want to do where you want to kill all the Jews, can you not? There's impossible moment number two. How often in our lives do we look at the mission that God gives us and does it feel completely overwhelming? And I wonder if we were to step back and look at it, if we looked at it with the proper perspective, would it actually be? Is it actually as overwhelming as we think it is? Or are we just so clouded by our, our fear that that's all we can see? If that's you, if you feel like I, I want to accept the mission, but I just have all this fear, I think the first thing that we can learn from Esther so that we can move from fear into faith is that first and foremost, we need to accept the assignment. First and foremost, we need to accept the assignment. Now, I know that sounds maybe funny, but, but you know the interesting thing about God, and, and I want to be really clear with how I explain this. I don't want to offend any of us, but I hope that this statement gives you a little bit of relief. Here it is. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God is God. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, all to bring glory and honor to his name. Whether we accept the assignment or not, God's gonna do it. And that's what Mordecai says to Esther. He says to her, listen, in verse 14, he goes, look, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So what does he say? Hey, guess what? If you choose not to accept the assignment, it doesn't matter to God. He's gonna do what he's gonna do. He's gonna move. It's a little bonus for you this morning. Get yourself a Mordecai. Get yourself a Mordecai in your life. Someone that will be able to look at you and say, hey, guess what? God's gonna move. Do you wanna be a part of it or not? I think we all need a Mordecai. So Mordecai says to Esther, look, whether you like it or not, God's gonna do what God's gonna do. Relief, deliverance, it's gonna come. But then he goes on to say, and this is probably one of the most powerful truths in, in all of scripture, in my opinion. He says, but who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What is he saying to her here? Listen, Esther, accept the assignment. Because what if God has done all of this in our lives to bring you to this point at this 
moment so that he could make his power pour out through you. God doesn't need us. But can I just say, we should really want to be used by him. God doesn't need us, but we should want it. You see, when we're, we're driven by fear, God puts this mission in front of us, whatever it may be, whether it's to you know, care for a spouse that's going through a difficult situation, whether it's to take a stand in front of someone or something that's contradictory to what, whatever anybody else would, would think is the best thing to do, whether it's to forgive someone when, when you, everybody else would say, don't forgive them, whatever the, the moment is that feels impossible, whatever that mission is that feels impossible, we don't have to do it, but we should want to do it. And when you're operating from a place of fear, you'll receive that mission and you'll say, why me? When you're operating from a place of fear, you're gonna receive that mission. You're gonna look at how impossible it feels and you're gonna say, why me? No, not me, God. But you see, when you move from that place of fear into that place of faith, you see that mission and you say, me, me, God. God, you need somebody to take a stand for your name? Me, pick me, me, I wanna do it. God, your child is hurting. It, he feels left out, pushed down, abandoned, beat down. He's riddled with shame and ridicule and he needs to feel your love in his life in a real way. Pick me, I'll show him. When we operate from faith, we say me. When we operate from fear, we say, why me, God? Can't somebody else do it? Make my, make my wife do it. She's better at this than me. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you at home, we just had a rousing agreement on that one. But when you operate from a place of faith, we're saying, me, God, please let me be a part of carrying out your mission. Let me accept the assignment today. And I wonder today, with whatever that mission is that's in front of you that feels impossible, have you accepted the assignment? Have you accepted the assignment? Have you said, God, me, pick me. Let me do it. I wonder how many of us miss out on miraculous moves of God in our lives because we're unwilling to accept the assignment, because we're so burdened by fear that we won't step out in faith and accept the assignment. Are you willing to accept the assignment this morning? Esther says, okay, Mordecai, I've got your message. I know what we need to do. But she says, here's what needs to happen. She says, you guys, all the Jewish people, need to now go and fast. You need to go and fast for three days. Don't eat, don't drink, nothing for three days. Me and my staff, we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna go and fast. You know, fasting is a sign of complete surrender. It's a sign of dying to yourself and your strength and relying completely on the strength of the heavenly father. 
And so what Esther is doing here, and I believe it's the second step that we need to take if we wanna move from fear and step into faith to live out the mission that God has put on in front of us, is that we need to surrender our strength so we can move forward in his. We need to be willing to surrender our strength so that we can move forward in his. You know, I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I am faced with a mission that feels impossible, after my mind goes to that place of fear, the way that I try to combat that fear is by creating the end goal in my mind. Okay, well, I'm afraid to do this, but here's what needs to happen in order for this to be successful. And I start working, planning, dreaming, drawing, all these kind of things to create my end scenario. This is what the outcome needs to be. And I'm gonna do whatever I can in my strength to make this happen. But you see, I think what Esther is showing us here is that we need to understand that in order to effectively move from fear into faith, to step into the mission and live out the mission that God has put in front of us, no matter how impossible it seems, we need to understand that the only way that will happen will be if we surrender our strength so we can move forward in his. That's the difference between faith and fear. Fear says, I'll move forward as long as I have what it takes to accomplish what I think needs to get done. Faith says, I'm gonna move forward knowing I'm not enough, but I have the one who is in my corner moving me forward. That fasting is a sign of complete surrender to our savior. When was the last time you completely surrendered yourself to the spirit's leading? When was the last time where you said, God, this mission feels impossible, but I'm gonna surrender what I think I can do so that I can watch you do what only you could do. You see, so often when we operate from a place of fear, we play it so safe. We play it so safe. We may get to our goals, but it's only because we played it too safe. And then we get there and find out that wasn't what God wanted me to do. That's what I knew I could do on my own. And so in this situation, God stirs Esther and he tells her, you need to surrender yourself so that I can move this forward. Esther says, I will retreat I will deprive myself of all of the strength that I think I am supposed to have so that I can do what I think needs to be done so that at the end of the day, I can look and say, only God could do this. I think one of the best prayers, I started praying this not that long ago. And it's, it's been a prayer that has absolutely changed the way that I view God and the way that I view the way I live my life and the mission that he's put me on is this. I pray almost every day, God, do what only you can do in this situation so that you can be the only one that gets the credit. God, do what only you can do in this situation so that you can be the only one that gets the credit. But that will never happen in our lives if we don't surrender our strength. If we don't say, I am not going to be able to do this on my own, but I'm gonna trust the one who can and I'm gonna move forward in his strength, in his power and in his might. That's when we'll be able to see God move the most.
Not when we just try to control, not when we just try to manipulate, not when we just try to make things happen the way that we think they should happen. But when we say, God, this is all you. This is all you. If we want to move from faith to, or from fear to faith, as we fulfill the mission, no matter how impossible it may seem, we need to be willing to surrender our strength so that we can move forward in his. So Esther goes and says, okay, Mordecai, tell the people, fast, fast, pray, three days. And then, and then, when we've done that, I will go to the king. And I love this statement by Esther. Verse 16, she says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And then she says, if I perish, I perish. What's she saying? If I die, I die. Can you see what takes place in our lives when we move from a place of fear into a place of faith? Esther was willing to say, I'm gonna do the mission and fulfill the mission that God has put on my life because I know that it will be done in his strength. And no matter the outcome, I'm choosing obedience. I think that's the last piece that we need to understand in our lives this morning. Is that in order to move from a place of fear to a place of faith, we need to be willing to choose obedience and trust the, and leave the outcome to God. We need to focus on obedience and leave the outcome to God. I'm gonna say that one more time because this is the biggest piece that God has been telling me all week. And I believe with all my heart, whether you're watching at home, whether you're sitting in this room today, someone needs to hear this. If you feel right now that God has called you to a mission that seems impossible in your life, whatever that may be, what you need to focus on right here, right now is obedience and leave the outcome to him. God never told us that we were going to be the ones that were going to fix every problem. He said, we were going to be the ones that were going to follow him. If you want to move from a place of fear and operate in a place of faith, choose obedience and leave the outcome to your father. Somebody needs to just let the weight of that statement break the chains off of your shoulders that have been holding you back because we felt for so long that the outcome was our responsibility. We're the ones that need to make everything work. We're the ones that need to make everything make sense. We're the ones that have to have everything figured out. No, we don't. We just need to obey. I heard someone say this once, and I wish I could remember who it was, but it wasn't. So I'll just say, I've often said this, that what you need to understand is this. If God has called you to it, he will see you through it. If God has called you to it, our friends at home, he will see you through it. You just need to obey and leave the outcome to him. The outcome is his, the obedience is ours. Just keep doing the next right thing.
If God tells you to go to the king, go to the king. If God tells you to fast, fast. If God tells you to go love the person that everybody else says abandon, just go love them. Do you know if it's gonna change their heart? Absolutely not. Guess what? Not your, not your thing to figure out. You already know what you need to do and just obey. I believe there would be so much freedom in the body of Christ if we simply just focused on obedience and left the outcome to Jesus. If you wanna move from a place of fear into a place of faith, first and foremost, accept the assignment. Understand that we don't have to, God doesn't need us, but we should want to. We shouldn't be saying, why me? We should be saying, me, let me do it. God, please don't let me miss a moment to have your power and your presence flow through me to your kingdom. Let me do it. Please pick me. I, I, coach, I coach Little League Baseball. And when I think of that, I think of, of this because we'll have these moments and practices where we'll ask for a volunteer. And it's great because it doesn't matter how many kids you have, all the hands shoot up. Me, 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 pick me, pick me. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Could you imagine how different our lives would be as followers of Jesus if we had that same zeal as the little kids do to want to catch a fly ball as we want to do to impact the kingdom for all eternity? Could you imagine how different our lives would be if we had that zeal? Me, God, pick me. Me, 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 me. You could pick anyone in, in literally this whole creation. You could speak through a donkey. You did it before, but I don't want you to because I want to be used by you. Pick me. Accept the assignment. No matter how impossible the mission may seem, accept the assignment. Then surrender your strength so you can move forward in his. Surrender your strength so you can move forward in his and focus on obedience and leave the outcome to your father. That's his place. He'll take care of it. You know, um, not that long ago, I was, uh, I was working out at a gym and um, I made a friend, a gym buddy. Um, now we work out like 5, 5.30 in the morning. So there's not a whole lot of conversation that goes on 5, 5.30 in the morning, let alone when it's a bunch of guys in the gym. Um, but I made a friend, right? And, and this friend, I, I don't really know how I made this friend because quite honestly, he was the craziest guy in the gym. Uh, like his nickname was literally Loco. Um, and I, I just generally, I'm not that great at connecting, especially with people that are called crazy. But, but for some reason, I made this connection with him. And now this guy... He was, he was interesting, right? He, he was always the guy that lifted the most weights, that finished the workouts first, that could do basically anything that anybody ever wanted done in the gym. Like that guy could do it and do it 10 times better than everybody else in the gym. So, you know, we worked out for a few years together, right? And, and our conversations never went much further than weights are heavy, huh? Yeah, workout was hard, wasn't it? Like that was about the, the level of our friendship. But one day I was in the gym and I was watching him and I could tell that something was not right. I could tell that he was not his usual self. And as I noticed that, I felt like God gave me a mission. And the mission was go ask him if he's okay. I think I would have rather trade places with Esther in that moment. I didn't wanna go ask the crazy guy in the gym 
who could literally kill me with his pinky if he was okay. I don't want to talk about feelings. Not with him. I'll send my wife. That whole day though, I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about it. God was hammering me. Ask him, ask him, ask him. And every time God put it on my heart, nope, not me, not me. Workout went on. We finished the class. We're packing up. Ask him, ask him, ask him. No, no, no. <laughs> Pack up, walking out the front door, getting ready to go to our cars. Ask him, ask him, ask him. No. Start my car, ready to drive away. And God says, just ask him. But God, no, not me. Please, anybody but me. I don't, I don't know what I would say. I don't know, what if he, what if he thinks I'm crazy? What if, what if he you know, laughs in my face? What if it ruins the relationship that we have? What if, what if it, it just blows up? God puts on my heart, leave that to me. Go ask him. Begrudgingly, I pull over next to his car. I'm like, hey, I leave the window sort of rolled up just in case so I can make a quick exit and he can't reach in, you know? And I just go, hey, are you okay? And he looks at me, he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, oh, good, good, thanks. Cool, I'll see you later. <laughs> I go to pull away and I just turn around and I go, hey, well, just so you know, if you need anything, I'm here. I drive away real quick. I know this is rather maybe eye-opening, but I'm just being really honest with you. You think a pastor like, hey, I can't wait to do this. No, I was terrified. That mission seemed impossible. But I chose obedience. I wasn't even out of the parking lot. My phone goes off from the guy. Hey, I'm not okay. Can we get together and talk? My hands were shaking. Absolutely, yep. When you want to get together, tomorrow, breakfast, you and me. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I showed up that next day. We went to the diner. We sat down and this crazy guy that could literally kill me with a pinky, all of a sudden starts sobbing uncontrollably in the middle of a diner, breakfast time, sobbing. And he begins to tell me how he made a really bad decision. And his wife kicked him out. His teenage daughter doesn't even want to look at his face. And he's like, I feel so much shame. I feel so much regret. I'm so angry. And he's just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. So we continued to talk. I tried to encourage him the best I could. And we go to leave. And I said to him, I'm like, hey, I gotta ask you a question. Why, why did you ask me to get together? And he looks at me in the eyes and he goes, you know why? Because everybody in that gym that day could tell that I wasn't okay, but you asked. All right. Got in my truck and I said, God, I'll choose obedience and I'll leave the outcome to you. Because that mission seemed impossible 
And if, it, if I did that in my strength, it would have been impossible. But because I surrendered my strength and I chose obedience and I left the outcome to him, to this day, he still has a relationship with me and we still talk. He still asks me questions. But we have to be willing to choose obedience no matter how impossible the mission may seem. Because when we do, the outcome will be far greater and far better than we ever thought it could have been in our own strength. Esther says, after we've surrendered our strength, I will go. And if I die, I die. I will obey and I'll leave the outcome to you, God. Mission impossible. Now I'm sure for any of you who's seen the show before, you know how the statement goes, right? And you've probably already said it five times in your head while we were listening. It goes something like this. Your mission, what's the next line? Should you choose to accept it? I'll leave you with this church. God has given you a mission. Will you accept it?